Welcome to Opposable Thumbs, a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Jill Mostar is our guest this episode. Greetings, Jill. Hi. My name is Rob Ray. I use he, his gender pronouns, and I'm a designer by day and an artist by night. I make music and objects using the name Shimmering Trash Pile. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, CAD CAM evangelist, noted tall person, Midwestern Viking, uh, full-time preschool teacher, and I'm a he-his kind of guy. So I'm uh, Jim Usta. I studied architecture and started a firm uh, with uh, two friends called uh, Super Detail. And I was doing also a collective, uh, an association called La Bulle, where we made uh, inflatable architecture. And now I stop both these uh, activities to pursue a more uh, personal and creative uh, projects for uh, for a few months, I, I guess. I saw Gilles' work first, uh, Rob, and sent it to you. I saw it, I think, first on Reddit, where I normally go to Reddit um, so that I don't have to think, right? <laughs> and so I just scroll for hours on end, but every once in a while you see something and say, wait, wait, you know, I, I want to know more about that. And and it was this project for making the um, the false nose. Yeah. So it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a 3D printed false nose that's also been gold leaf. Exactly. It's a reproduction uh, of a false nose from the 16th century, and uh, that uh, used to be used um, for uh, like the ancestor of uh, aesthetic surgery. So it's not functional in uh, just aesthetic. And it was uh, used for people who broke or lo- lost their nose uh, in duel, for example. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Am I remembering correctly that that was, I can't remember if I had read this on your Reddit page or what it was, but there was some scientist who got into a duel at a wedding over who was a better astronomer. Yeah. Are you remembering the story? Uh, That's what it was? That was a comment uh, on my post, but I, so I don't remember it, but it was Pretty common, actually. The not uh, it was not uh, exceptionally rare. The fake nose, right, right. But uh, I don't know specifically. <laughs> uh, I don't remember the story. It was in the comment. It was a really great comment. I think we can go back and repost the name. But I, yes. I believe how the story went was that um, there were two. It, you know, it was sort of in that period in in Europe where you just had to have some money and you would kind of think of yourself as a scientist and you'd follow whatever interest you had, whether yeah. it was, you know, batteries and electricity or whatnot. And I think there was, yeah, an argument about who was a better astronomer. And this guy got his nose cut off and then wandered around with this, um, it was, it was either like brass or gold or who, who knows what, but, um, there were other really great stories about that, uh, that individual. So I'll have to find his name while we're talking. There are also, um, silver nose and, uh, laser nose. In fact, I found the, the model of the nose, the drawings, like the plans, if if we can say, in a in a book from the 16th century, uh, I found uh, on uh, archives online in the website called Gallica, where you can find uh, for free a uh, lot of uh, old books and some recordings also. And um, it's uh, the book of a surgeon, and he, it's like a tutorial. So how to fix a broken nose and uh, he explained that you can make one in leather, you can make one in silver or gold. Yeah, Tycho Bra is maybe who it is, astronomer. With the- yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, at the time it was, uh, I think the word didn't exist yet, 
and it was badly seen like the the doctor wouldn't uh, uh, touch blood it was like a lame job it was a uh, the the it was not noble so uh, they had a special uh, guest so they had a special uh, employee to touch the blood the surgeon at the time was uh, Ambroise Paré but uh, he was like employed by uh, doctors Okay, mm -hmm. so doctor didn't want to touch the blood. It was uh, dirty for them. And uh, after Ambroise Paré made the surgeon profession uh, popular, at least in, in France, like a uh, real profession, the opposite happened. Like it was uh, well seen for doctors to have uh, blood uh, everywhere on them. So it was like, uh, <laughs> like uh, I'm, I'm a hard worker. I have a, like, uh, yeah. you know... Uh, Some artists like to wear uh, all the time clothes with uh, paint on some painters. And it's kind of <laughs> the same thing. Like doctors used to wear uh, their blues with uh, blood on. Wow. Well, uh, I'm imagining um, a poor doctor might uh, just kill a chicken in secret, <laughs> um, tr trying to make yeah. themselves me me seem more important or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite a, a point of actuality because when... After in uh, when Pasteur arrived in France, I don't know if Pasteur is uh, internationally known or. Oh sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when he arrived and he he, he told the doctor, uh, you have to stop. Uh, bl your blood on your blues is disgusting. So it went back to the, and uh, it's uh, contaminated, the blood on your blues, and uh, the surgeon at the time uh, refused because it was their pride to, to stop having blood. That's uh, for how I get uh, into that. I was a bit into uh, medicine history, but very, like, uh, I like uh, anecdotes. And so I start searching uh, Gallica. So I, and, um, and that's how I, I found the book. So That's cool. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, it's, I'm always kind of jealous of um, people who come from countries that have such an older history, because I feel like, you know, no matter how, old something is in the United States, not counting, of course, native yeah. populations, but in terms of the, the modern country, uh, there's just nothing old here um, in comparison to other civilizations, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like 300 years old is very old here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is nothing, yeah. Jill, I was, I was curious about your, um, your, your architecture work and your interest in inflatables. Um, okay. And, and, yeah. and I was curious about how you... Um, maybe arrived at inflatables as a creative pursuit or as a way to think about um, structural forms and, and um, living structures and that sort of thing. Okay, so uh, it's uh, it wasn't really a, a choice. Uh, so it was um, a festival festival oh. uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. called uh, Bella Stock in France, and it's I think now it's a bit international. The, They are happening in schools uh, everywhere, and it's for. At the beginning, it was for architecture students, and uh, but it's now a bit larger. I think you can invite uh, whoever, and it's, uh, it's a festival where it you have like two or three days to build your house, and then you party inside. If if I caricature, <laughs> so. <laughs> and uh, each year you have uh, seams. So like when I was in first year, it was building with a sandbag. And in second year, it was building with um, inflatable structure. Oh. So 
And uh, so there is, uh, for the listener who are not into inflatable structures, there are two kinds of in inflatable structures. So the one that you can uh, inflate, and if you stop inflate them, uh, you can put, um, like, uh, what do you say, uh, a bouchon? Um, you can close them, and they stay in shape, like an inflatable castle. Right. You have a, it's called two membrane. But there is a less known version. It's called a simple membrane, and it's like a beach ball, like uh, the you know the. And uh, you have to uh, inflate them in uh, all the time because you have the door that uh, free air. So I I guess it's not uh, very easy mm -hmm. to describe. But that being said, the um, the festival we 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 would uh, be I think a thousand people. And uh, you have to build uh, your city, your inflatable city. Yeah, this sounds great. Uh, let's take a look at these pictures. So, oh, it's huge. Yes, and yeah. we are a thousand. So, and what's so great is because it's like one, each house is a balloon, like an air balloon, inflatable, mm -hmm. uh, and they're all connected. And you had uh, two um, big ventilators that keep the city from uh, deflating. Okay, so... And uh, to to keep the the air sealed, you had only uh, a few doors. So when you wanted to go out, you had to go uh, from house to house to the way out. So it was quite a unique experience. Right. And um, so that's how we discover uh, inflatable. So that was a festival, and we loved it so much. It was such um, when you enter the space, so unique and. Um, and that's how we we discovered with friend, and we decided we wanted to continue. Yeah, just to describe this for people yeah. that are listening, uh, the the picture that I'm seeing on the homepage, Rob, I'm trying to estimate how far across that area is. I mean, there's probably at least twenty or thirty structures in that particular picture, yeah, right? That are all interconnected. It's definitely like and hundreds of feet across. Football field. Yeah, yeah, so yeah it's, it's quite quite massive. Yeah. So, of course, Rob, that makes me want to ask uh, Gilles about the uh, inflatable um, Eurorack component, but yes. maybe we should hear yeah, the yeah. Uh, process of uh, going through the firm first. I didn't want to cut in. So what else were you going to ask, Rob? No, that, that was the same I had, yeah. After that festival, so that was uh, 10 years ago, I think, we, we kept our inflatable structures and reused it um, for other small events with, uh, with some friends. And we heard that other uh, people that went to the same festival were doing the same thing, like uh, reusing their inflatable, and we merged uh, two groups into one that uh, Labule Collective. Uh, I send you the link. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm looking at the pictures now. Yes, and that's uh, that have been a big uh, part uh, of my life. So it was a collective. So we were uh, at the maximum uh, 30. Uh, this day, I think there are like eight person really uh, in the project. And so mm -hmm. the idea was uh, to make uh, events where, um, with inflatable structure. And uh, what we like so much is uh, you can make s everything in uh, inflatable structure. And it really, because uh, it's not, omni uh, you don't see them often. It's quite unique and creates a kind of special space. So we, it's amazing for uh, music and party, but it's also great for uh, like reunion and things like that. So that's how I um, 
I continue to do inflatables with uh, my group of friends uh, at La Bulle. It's it's and, really nice that those spaces don't have pillars or walls on the inside and no logos or anything. I mean, there's nothing to look at in right. there but each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, I can see there's a lot of projection work that looks like yes. you guys are doing an illumination. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, one of our main projects uh, with La Bulle, and it was uh, called No Logo, and it was in uh, Tunisia. And we, we, we mm -hmm. would go to a first city and build the inflatable structure with the uh, students and uh, mm -hmm. then uh, inflate it and have um, like a spectacle with a uh, uh, artist uh, working with a uh, numeric things uh, yeah like a numeric artist so all sorts of uh, mm -hmm. projection mapping uh, like, um, circuit bending tv bending this kind of uh, a cool. thing and during the day it would it would be a uh, workshops and presentation of technology for a uh, local population and uh, so that was uh, really great because we were invited by a Tunisian association. So we were a Tunisian team and uh, with uh, mm -hmm. three or four French. I'm looking at this shape that um, looks really precise mm -hmm. in the wide shots mm -hmm. where it's kind of like if you were to take two um, two spheres and then crash them together, kind of like metaballs. Like a right? peanut, yeah. <laughs> Oh, like a peanut, exactly, and then <laughs> bisected. So I'm wondering, was that designed first on the computer and then and then fabricated by hand? Exactly. Um, so that's that was because I know I'm taking a break to concentrate on my project for for the moment. But that was my main role was the patterning part. Ah, so, cool. uh, so so what uh, what software were you using? Was that Rhino exactly. or, and Grasshopper? Or Rhino, else? Rhino and Grasshopper. <laughs> oh, you okay, got it. Got uh, but I'm I'm not that good. At Grasshopper and uh, the oh, it's so hard. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, if someone wants uh, a listener wants to go into inflatables and really be good at uh, creating patterns, you have to learn uh, something called Kangaroo. So it's a physics uh, simulation in Grasshopper mm -hmm. in Rhino. So you have to learn Rhino, then Grasshopper, and then Kangaroo. You have two ways, two main ways to build an inflatable structure. You mm -hmm. take the different part and you scotch them together, whether it's a double side scotch or single size. Sing okay. And, um, or you can use a more complex technology like, um, soldering, like electric soldering. Mm -hmm. And of course, wow. electric like heat sealing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's uh, much cleaner, but it, these are quite big machine. And, uh, what's great with scotch is like you can have uh, 20 students working each having a roll of scotch. If you have uh, 20 machines, it's not uh, that uh, mm. that easy. Mm -hmm. So I have to admit, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the material that you're talking about. Uh, is it scotch, did you say? Yeah, scotch. Uh, double side? Double size? The, no, double side. Yeah, and this is a this is a plastic sheeting material? Yeah, so uh, yeah, we... We have, we tried to use a um, biosource material, but uh, for the moment it was uh, quite uh, a failure each time uh, because of the, um, we don't want to use a material that's too uh, inflammable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but quite interestingly, each time you do an event like that, at uh, some time, someone, most often a kid, but not necessarily, will try to poke a hole in the structure, like uh, think, <laughs> thinking it will do uh, like a, you know, like a balloon, uh, 
uh, flying like <laughs> but uh, it doesn't do anything because um, it's uh, right. it's it's always open in fact oh it's, it, it is really cool to see the difference between trying to get it done just with a bunch of people with a lot of excitement yeah. and no money and then comparing it to a commercial firm yeah but they're, they're um, brilliant yeah. oh, what is the name of the architecture firm here in the US uh, Pneu House P-N-E-U-H-A-U-S. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I'm currently working on a Rhino project with Grasshopper, and I just feel, for, for one thing, um, Gilles, do you know if, does a Grasshopper manual even exist, or is it entirely, like, I've looked around and I've kind of found books here and there, but it doesn't seem like the people who wrote the program ever really wrote an instruction manual. Has that been in your experience? No, th there is one. Digitaltoolbox.info. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. and uh, you have uh, if you do all the tutorial from uh, Digital Toolbox, you you'll be quite uh, solid. Could one of you yeah. describe Grasshopper a bit? So uh, I'm gonna try, but um, Grasshopper is um, is a drawing, to, um, a CAD uh, CAD drawing, like a computer drawing software, but instead mm -hmm. of uh, drawing uh, a line. You code it like uh, you say. There's one point at this coordinate, and the other one is the first point you put. Uh, there's one point in A coordinate, and uh, you move it to B coordinate, and you draw a line between point A and B. So you don't click. You you tell the coordinate, but it's not um, pure code. There are uh, boxes called node. I'm I'm sorry, it's so hard to 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 explain. But uh, in fact, it's it's like uh, coding for people who are familiar with coding, but with um, boxes and uh, nodes. So it's visual and it's way easier. And mm -hmm. um, if you have a code in multiple uh, languages, like it's uh, like uh, processing for me. It's like the processing of. Uh, of architecture because it's uh, you can see your results really fast whereas if you are using uh, other tools it's uh, it may take a very long time before you you see something right so you can play and so you can have a I had a teacher in uh, I did my uh, Erasmus exchange I did an exchange uh, semester in uh, in England in Newcastle and I mm -hmm. had uh, a course with a teacher called Carlos Calderon called um, Design Emergence. And because um, the ability of all these tools to show us things we wouldn't have thought of. So, so I guess it's the case with all tools, but um, like you can generate a lot of form, for example. Or you can... Uh, so... Yeah, Rob, how's your? Uh, is this something that you could be tempted to get into, or are you too distracted by other programs? Right <laughs> I now? have. It always is interesting. To, I mean, Taylor, we had you had done a project in it before, if I recall, and how mm -hmm. I think about it was how you were using it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Was it was sort of used to slice a a three D shape into individual pieces? Is that right? Yeah. So I was doing. Um, visualizations of aromatic molecules yeah, so those right. that are based on a carbon ring yeah. and um the thing about it that was cool and and jill i'm, I'm going to do my own work here trying to describe something that's hard okay. to describe but 
But so, so I would have a model of the molecule and I'd want the different parts to show up in different colors. So like the oxygen would be red and the carbon would be, you know, blue or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I had to get, um, I had to figure out how to make all those slices and then to fill them in so they were all planes and then to export them as individual images. So I would wind up with an animation that looked like you were slowly kind of sanding through a molecule. Mm -hmm. And then I would take all those images and play them as a slideshow on a television that was moving down a motorized track. That's right. So that when I took a long uh, long exposure photograph, the photograph would kind of reconstitute over 60 seconds in the camera. And then you get this kind of like otherworldly, semi-translucent photograph Oh. Uh, straight from the computer that like existed in the world kind of, but was never actually 3D printed. It was sort of 3D printed in light. Yeah, that's, that's um, great. It it worked out pretty good. And I, I have to do more with it. I mean, I don't know about the two of you, but I tend to find, um, and one thing I liked about, Jill, about your Instagram page is um, you post things to it really frequently and you just go ahead and make the thing, you know, yep. like have the idea, make the thing. And I I know I'm not hearing on your end, maybe the frustrations you have, or you try something that doesn't work out, but I feel like, man, I just spend, you know, six months or even years just thinking and thinking and thinking, and then I do it. And I've made this really complicated process. And then I just use it once. And Mm -hmm. then I go do something else. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to cure myself of that habit. Do do you ever, do you ever wrestle with that, uh, with that problem, Jill, when you're making things? When I was, um, a student, I was uh, worse because of uh, of that, and uh, I was so mm-hmm. um, I was meta, if that makes sense. Like I was uh, analyzing what, what I was doing. Yeah, and right. So it's <laughs> uh, it's a process that's not very productive, and uh, but it was a common uh, illness in my school. Like uh, we had a teacher from uh, another country, and she she said, uh, "You." Uh, you come to me with a, a thousand uh, ideas on why one drawing, and my <laughs> students from uh, my country come with uh, one idea and a thousand drawing. Wow. Yeah. Right. I was curious about the materials that you uh, have found to be good or not so good when thinking about inflatables, and maybe what some people who listen to the podcast could be thinking about um, if they want to explore inflatables a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so um, for the instrument, for example, it's a um, survival uh, cover. I I don't know if you call them that in English. I can check. Life blanket. Oh yeah. Okay. Like like what joggers wear after they run for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's quite cheap. And uh, if you check le, the Instagram of Label, the f- I think the first one. I don't know if it's on there yet. One of the first one we made was uh, w- with uh, some parts using that, using uh, what is it? Survival bl- life blanket. Life blanket. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And uh, so it's. Uh, I think it's quite a great material because you can find them uh, quite uh, cheap, and they have um, one uh, silver side, one gold side, and they have. Uh, really unique transparency if you put a light uh, oh, underneath. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to try a lot of things because I, uh, I still have like uh, one or two square meters of, of this material. And uh, also a practice that's uh, used a lot is a used plastic bag. 
so used plastic bags. So uh, in in the US, I think you don't have plastic bags anymore, like in France. We we do. It it depends on where you're at, yep. and the, it's okay. one of those funny unintended consequences where they said that um, thin plastic bags were illegal. And so then stores just started offering thicker plastic bags oh. instead. <laughs> that just made the pro the problem worse. <laughs> okay, that's uh, terrible for the environment. But if you want to start making inflatable things, uh, thick um, plastic bags uh, from the store are perfect. There was a girl in La Bulle from Brazil, and she made also a, a huge bubble in uh, architecture school in Brazil. And she asked uh, every first-year student to bring the um, excess plastic bags they had at home. Cause, um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. As their material. And, uh, and they didn't even choose a double... F they use a very simple scotch. You don't need a fancy scotch to make an inflatable structure. It's quite, uh, quite easy. Well, so that was the term from before I was trying to figure out. When you're talking about scotch, are you referring to the tape? Yes, sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh no, it's 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 no problem at all. But w when you first described it, you were talking about the firm that had a lot of money, and you said we only had enough money for scotch, and I thought you meant the liquor for ah. drinking, <laughs> <laughs> which is appropriate too. No, no, it's a scotch, uh, yeah, tape. Yeah, that's uh, okay. Yeah, perfect. Got that's it. how we call it in French. Uh, yeah, uh, Gio, could you could you tell us then about this um, the audio device you were making and. Um, did I see references to Eurorack in there? Because we yeah. had another guest on recently who was making modified Eurorack. But would you, would you tell us a little bit about how that balloon functions as a part of that device? Yes. So I'll end up to Eurorack, but how does that function? It's uh, something called the atmospheric pressure sensor. So mm -hmm. what it does, it uh, gives you temperature and, um, and atmospheric pressure. So... Uh, if you imagine, uh, like if you're underwater, atmospheric pressure is high. If you're really high uh, in the mountain, it's high, etc. If you press a balloon, it's higher than if you don't press it. Mm -hmm. And um, so there is a captor that uh, caps that uh, pressure and it sends uh, information to a little computer called the Arduino. And it's uh, Arduino Nano in this case. The computer uh, sends them to a digital analog converter that convert the digital signal to so zero and one. So that means uh, zero volt and uh, I think it's five, but I don't remember. Zero and five volt pulse, pulse width modulation to the digital analog converter who convert it to a, a curve, which is an analog signal to the, to the synthesizer. To the Euro or the Eurorack. So I'm going to simplify that. There is a captor, a computer that interprets, and then you have your signal out that you can plug in the in the Eurorack or the synthesizer. And uh, so it's like and a MIDI controller, if you or like a mouse, but with a specific format, which mm -hmm. is uh, called control volta voltage, which is used in uh, old synthesizer, in Eurorack, in uh, analog uh, gear mostly so we, when you play it do you uh, do you squish the balloon to change the pitch or something like that what's the uh... yes and the captor is inside the balloon and so you have your own uh, little atmosphere to to control right. and what's and uh, I didn't expect that 
but I'm really happy. Like it's not uh, like a ceramine. I, I don't know if I pronounce it well, ceramine. Yeah, that's right. And mm -hmm. uh, it's not the like when you first approach the instrument and you, for example, plug in into the synth to control its uh, pitch. You expect if your hands are really close to the um, the captor and the balloon is really pressed, you'll have a really high pitch, for example, and if you let go, really low. But it's uh, actually a little, a little bit more complex because what uh, implies the most change in uh, atmospheric pressure is movement. Uh, so... What makes the change the not change the most is uh, if you move a lot or not. I think I understand it. It it sounds like then that would make it into a really performative part of the Eurorack. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's quite hard to like to play um, so to play a, a track. So you would need a, a lot of training. If uh, you're into Eurorack a lot, you may have seen people using um, you know the 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 piece you you use with a violin or with a cello, uh, an archer. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how you call it in English. It's a, a, a archer, archer. Rob, you'd know better than me. Mm, yeah, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, archer certainly sounded familiar. If that's what I heard. But it, it, it sounds like the, the moral of the story is that we're talking about taking existing Eurorack pieces and then making new new peripherals and ways to interact with them, right? Yes. and uh, Which makes sense. I really like it as an interface because, as you describe it, it seems... Um, it's a bow, sorry. <laughs> oh, a bow. A bow, oh, yes, yeah. yes. Cool. And what I meant is, uh, like, uh, if, you, there are, if you're interested in that, there are people that control the Eurorack with a bow, and it's... Uh, it's, uh, it converts the sound to uh, to voltage. Mm -hmm. So sure, to, right. and that's the video I did today is a bit like that. But uh, the basic of it is uh, like uh, using a mic. Uh, mo most DIYers use a piezo a lot because they're very cheap and really easy to use. And so uh, that's the physics of uh, a mic is a bit similar to the physics of. Um, how do you of uh, some things that make sounds? Uh, <laughs> how do you call them? Like ify, um, like. Uh. Well, I know we're asking you to, to talk about a lot of technical material, mm -hmm. which is particularly Sorry. challenging. Speaker. Yeah, there yeah, you go. A speaker. So, uh, just to say, so if the sound is really loud on your mic, it's really loud on the speaker, because there mm -hmm. is a lot of uh, if. I simplify it, but there's a lot of electricity. In the same way, Eurorack uh, interprets that, and uh, for example, a lot of uh, electricity can mean a high pitch not, or it can mean a low pitch not. I let uh, my sisters and my father uh, play with it, and they, uh, it's really uh, they have a natural uh, enjoyment of uh, of playing music um, in a, in a, in that way. That's great. And, yeah, perhaps um, if, if nobody can play it perfectly, then it makes people less self-conscious to yeah, play yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That's really great. Jill, is there a place where we could listen to some of that? Have you made any recordings uh, of that? Not device? yet. But, uh, so there is uh, Instagram. I, uh, I, there is a too short video. Because I'm not a really good musician. So mm -hmm. I'm more a maker than a musician. 
Right. But uh, just before uh, we start the podcast, I was finishing a video and it's uh, a small piece of uh, where I use it to make wind. And I think uh, that's a really cool use for this specific instrument. Is because um, you so the sound produced sound like uh, wind, and I I like it because you feel like uh, controlling um, a, a tempest, uh, mm. like mm -hmm. controlling the the meteo uh, the climate. So now I'm embarrassed to admit that I didn't realize that you. You had already sent me a link with that on it. I'm just such a bad Instagram user as an old oh, person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm fairly so, yeah. new to Instagram also, so I, I understand. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll we'll post links to all that stuff so everyone can check it out. Uh, you can find photos of our finished projects over at projects.opposablepodcast.com. We also have links in our show notes, and we'll post cool stuff to our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast, and we'll make sure to link to Jill's really great work. Um, both in the podcast uh, uh, show notes and also on our website. Uh, we'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker. If you share a podcast episode on social media, rate us on iTunes or some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast, we will mail you a sticker. Just contact us on Instagram at opposable underscore podcast or at our email, which is opposable podcast at gmail.com. We'd like to give a shout out to Wesley Ellis, Charlie McBride, Adam Mayer, Deb Chatra, Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, Walter Katundu, and David Bellhorn. They're our top Patreon supporters, and if you'd like to join them in our league of Patreon supporter badasses, just go to patreon.com slash opposablethumbs to sponsor us. Our podcast is dedicated to pro providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. Jalut, do you have a, uh, a creative challenge for us and our listeners to uh, guide our thinking for the next week or two? Do you know uh, lentils? Lentils are the food. Yes. Yeah, sure. And they are really easy to, to grow. And uh, I've, I started uh, quite uh, to grow quite a few. Like, uh, And uh, I think that's a really great material to try things with. So I would say my challenge was uh, use a new material, something that you you don't um, uh, maybe something that you like but never uh, think about uh, as a material. And I That's think uh, for, right. for me, it's a plant, for example. I you like you. I'm not a gardener or a biologist. I have no special knowledge, and it's really scary. Uh -huh. but, uh, <laughs> just, it's, uh, yeah, just try and, uh, that sounds great. Let's make lentils the challenge. Yeah. Right? We should definitely make lentils the challenge. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. Jill, you've said so many times over the course of the hour, I'm not a, I'm not a blah, 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 but I did it anyway. And I, I just think that's great. That. Yep. Like that's the spirit I want to embody, yeah. yep. you know? Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hope I didn't lost myself too much because I, um, I haven't spoke uh, in English for a while. So oh, I, I tend to uh, think about the idea and then think about the the English, <laughs> and then uh, sure. well, yeah. what was I was what was I talking about? So, Jill, do you have um, Instagram or a website that you would like people to visit? I'm only in, on Instagram for the moment, so it's Jilou uh, dot underscore. And uh, if you want 
to see the inflatable things we talked about. It's uh, Labul underscore collective. So L A B U L L E underscore C O L L E C T I F. So uh, awesome. I I would recommend you to check the description. It will be yeah, easier that's great. Than, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, uh, sure, yeah. But thanks, uh, thanks a lot. It was uh, it was great. I uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. Great talking to you. Thank you so much. Your work is is really really great and really inspiring. Yeah. And um, I love your challenge uh, for us yeah. to think about materials we've never used before, particularly lentils. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> yeah, thank you we, for. We didn't even me. get to talk about the telescoping fingernails. Yeah, next time. Ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>